Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today we begin a very special time of year. Today we begin what has been known for centuries as Holy Week, a week that the followers of Jesus Christ have set apart from all other weeks of the year and from all other weeks in human history. So our title today of this message, which is not from the book of James, is called The Holiest Week Ever. The Holiest Week Ever. Of the 89 chapters that make up the four Gospels, that's the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you add them all together, there's 89 chapters in those four books. 32 of those 89 chapters, that is 36% of them, are devoted to recounting the events that took place from Palm Sunday to Easter. That's just one week. Eight days, actually, out of the 1,750 weeks that Jesus walked on this earth. His 33 years or so added up to that many weeks, and the writers of the gospel telling the story of his life spend 36% of the time talking about eight days, one week. That's less than one hundredth of one percent of Jesus' life takes up 36% of the account of his life. The impression could easily be formed that Jesus came from heaven to earth specifically to live those eight days. Those were eight days that determined everything. Those were eight days that challenged everything. Those were eight days that transformed everything. And so we can ask the question, what all happened during those eight days? That holy week. So let's check it out a bit this morning, and then I want you to immerse yourselves. I want all of us to immerse ourselves in that last week, those eight days throughout this coming week. So I put on your your bulletin here, on your outline, a Holy Week reading schedule. There's been times the last few years we've had a pamphlet we've called the Easter Walk, which would give you a reading for every day of the week that just went through the Gospel of Mark. What happened on Monday, what happened on Tuesday, so forth. Something a little more ambitious this week. I'm going to ask us all to read through the Holy Week record entirely. So on Monday, let's commit ourselves to read Matthew's account of the final week. That takes up chapters 21 to 28. On Tuesday, let's read Mark's account of the final week. 
That takes up chapters 11 to 16. Wednesday, let's read Luke's account of the final week. That's chapters 19. The triumphal entry starts in the middle of chapter 19 and then goes through chapter 24. And then let's take two days, Thursday and Friday, to read John's account of the final week. John chapters 13 through 20. Now that's in our assignment. That's a lot of work. It's God's word, though. Can you think of any better work to do, especially during Holy Week? But you might have to lay some other things aside to do that. Now this morning, this morning I'm just giving to us what in the movie industry is called a teaser. Hopefully, this teaser of what Holy Week was all about might just whet our appetite to actually read the entire story in all of the Gospels, just like we outlined. And this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want to focus for you upon eight absolutely essential elements of Holy Week. These don't cover the whole thing. And as you read through this week, you're going to say, well, there's a ninth one. There's a tenth one. This is pretty important right here. Pastor Mark mentioned eight. There's more. But you're going to read the full account of the eight that I mentioned today. And you might read it several times from the viewpoint of each one who wrote. So let's just begin. This holiest week ever began with what I'm calling the most noteworthy procession ever. The words that were spoken during that procession were these. Blessed is he who comes. There's a coming. There's a movement. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's what the people surrounding Jesus shouted as he entered the city of Jerusalem. On that glorious Palm Sunday, we know that every single year, we sang it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Never, though, in human history had there been a procession like that. Never had there been a procession on the face of this earth led by God himself. In this case, the Son of God himself. And so we can surely call it the most noteworthy procession ever. That was the moment. That was the moment our brilliantly tactical Abba Father had prophesied through the prophet Zechariah some 500 years earlier. The prophet had written, Behold, your king will come to you. And they looked for him, and they looked for him, and they looked for him, generation after generation after generation, believing that God's word is true, believing that the prophecies of the prophets will be fulfilled, and they waited a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, four, more than five hundred years from the time the prophecy had been given. But our brilliantly tactical Heavenly Father determined that it was that day, that Sunday, that first day of the week, when the time had come in approximately 30 A.D. for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And so on that day, knowing 
that generations had held these words in their heart and in their mind. On that day, the people were able to express them right out into the air. Blessed, finally, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Indeed, it was a procession like no other, a noteworthy one. The exuberance of the crowd, however, would further consolidate the opposition against Jesus and would speed events toward another prophesied conclusion, Jesus' death for the sins of men. All week long. All week long we'll read and we'll see the leaders of the Jews would confront and challenge Jesus and seek to discredit him. That procession, that most noteworthy procession ever, really got the ball rolling. Now, next we see this holiest week ever contained the most incredible teaching ever. That's what many, many over the years have considered the upper room discourses to be. And they're just some of the teaching of that final week, those eight days. As we read through this week, we're going to see so much that Jesus covered that week in the temple, teaching about prophecy, teaching about all manner of things. But the, but the jewel in there is what's called the upper room discourses. The very last night Jesus spent with his disciples, having communion with them in that upper room, they're only recorded in John's gospel. And in that package of teaching, Jesus taught them the necessity of humble service as a sign of genuine love. We saw the picture of Mary washing Jesus' feet. That last night, you know, Jesus washed their feet. And then he said, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Humble service is at the heart of genuine godly love. He taught them, and he mentioned, he gave them the promise of the earthly companion who would come, John 14 and 16. That night, those upper room discussions, that's where he brought up and told them about the Holy Spirit. That he would pray to the Father, Jesus would, that the Father would send another one companion to be with them, that they would not be left alone, though Jesus was going away. That was... That's teaching that we've, uh, we've built our hearts around these last few years. Also, that night in the upper room, Jesus gave the image of the vine and the branches. Incredible image that sustained the church and believers for all these years. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit the relational understanding of the dynamic of the Christian life. And then he also told them about the hatred the world would have, the hatred the world already had toward him, and if the world's hated me, it will hate you, he said. Incredibly important truth to understand. And then near the end, he also then broadened out the ministry and the necessity of the Holy Spirit. 
He said, it is the Holy Spirit who will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will be the spokesman for God. He will be the one that stirs human hearts and draws them toward a, a recognition of their sinfulness and an and a eagerness to seek forgiveness. Oh, that's a package of teaching. Read it slowly this week when you, when you get through it. You see, those were the teachings that were right at the heart of the, the apostolic teaching, teachings that sustained the apostles and the early church. John. John felt compelled to put them to print before he died. John didn't write his gospel way back in the beginning when Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote theirs. John waited until he was near death, and at the end of the first century, he then added his gospel, and he added in, for the sake of the church, for you and me, teachings that none of the other three gospels had included. And many of these are, are just those upper room teachings. The heart of the Savior being exposed to us. They came forth during the holiest week. Then we see this holiest week ever brought forth what I'm calling today the most amazing prayer ever. Christ's high priestly prayer. That is chapter 17 of John. That also took place that very last night. Here is where any believer can actually enter into the holy of holies, as it were, and observe the Son of God in perfect fellowship with his Abba Father. Oh, when you get there this week, on Thursday and Friday, going through John's final week, oh, just hang on every word Jesus spoke to the Father. Come to understand that nowhere else is such a prayer of Jesus recorded. No time else could such a ministry-concluding prayer have been offered. That prayer is truly the Lord's prayer, and it demonstrates the sincerity and the informality, and the history, and the intimacy of a genuine conversation with God. Every born-again believer should pray. Every born-again believer, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can pray like that and just be lifted right into the Father's presence knowing that you are absolutely a beloved son or daughter of and just have fellowship with him, the kind of fellowship that strengthens you, that heals you, that encourages you, you read that prayer. That's how Jesus talked to his heavenly father. And then moving on, we could say this holiest week ever demonstrated the most selfless surrender ever. Jesus' words, under great duress, not my will, but thine be done. All three of the first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, will record this. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus surrendered all thoughts of personal escape. He surrendered all requests for a rewrite of the Father's eternal plan, and he yielded himself to the most unthinkable sort of suffering. Suffering like he himself could not even imagine. 
How could the sinless, perfect Son of God ever even imagine being made sin? Becoming sinful in the eyes of his loving Heavenly Father. Jesus knew what lay out there. He knew it was the wrath of God that was going to fall upon him so that the wrath of God doesn't have to fall upon sinful human beings. But no way could he actually anticipate what it would be like. It was horrible to just contemplate the thought of it. And yet he yielded himself to it, suffering like no one had ever experienced and no one would ever experience anything like that again. You see, never again. Never again would a perfectly righteous one ever be treated by a just and holy God as an incredibly sinful, despicable one. Never again would a perfectly holy one have to face the horror of being turned into something so sinful and so shameful. Never again. Never again because on that day Jesus surrendered himself to that very unthinkable horror. The Father's will. The Father's purposes, the Father's desire was all that mattered to him. Find yourself this week kneeling beside him and uttering those incredible words with him. Not, but thine. And then, in keeping with the fulfillment of the Father's will, this holiest week ever led to what I'm calling the most unjust condemnation ever. Crucify him, this son of God. Crucify him, this perfect one. That was the verdict shouted out by the crowd gathered in front of the Roman governor Pontius Pilate when he asked, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they shouted out, crucify him. That was the final official outcome of what we could have listed as the most pathetic kangaroo court ever assembled. No two people, when Jesus was called before the, the high priest and stood trial, no two people could agree on any charges against him. No one in authority cared anything about proper procedure for this proceeding. Finally, they found a way to use his own words against him without making any attempt to determine whether or not his words were true. In all the centuries since, Jesus stands as an example for all born-again children of God who are unjustly accused and condemned. However, none of us will ever be as innocent as he. That selfless surrender and unjust condemnation opened the door for this holiest week ever to expose us to the most dramatic pronouncement ever.
on the cross. Pretty much with his last breath, Jesus said, it is finished. That was a pronouncement dramatically given. There on the cross at the close of three hours of suffering, the wrath of God upon himself, Jesus recognized that the will of God had been fulfilled. The payment for sin had been made. The purpose for which he had lowered himself from heaven to earth and humbled himself in becoming a human being had been accomplished. And so, and so, at that moment, with the breath and strength given to him by the Holy Spirit, who had enabled every deed of his earthly life, Jesus declares and shouts out in a way that that shocked and shook a veteran centurion who was standing right there. Jesus cries out, It is finished! It is finished! Indeed it was. It was finished for him, for his father, for the spirit who aided him, for his mother, for his disciples, for all his faithful followers, for all who would come to him through their message, for you and for me. It's finished. It's finished. Read those words this week and realize that there is nothing more that needs to be done to save your soul and to grant you forgiveness. It's finished. Christ has done it all. Rejoice that if you've put your faith and trust in him, that it has been finished for you. And now we come to the final day of that holiest week ever, and we run eagerly once again into the most significant miracle ever, which of course would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On Easter morning, the tomb was empty. The angel announced, he is not here. He is risen as he said. Well, we'll say some more about that next week. And finally this morning, I want to point out that this holiest week ever culminated with the most transformational statement ever. Took place on Easter evening, afternoon perhaps. Jesus says, appearing in the midst of his troubled disciples, huddling behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They were all there except Thomas. And he appears in their midst. And he says something that just transforms everyone who truly hears it. Peace be with you. On Easter evening, Jesus spoke those words that the Spirit of God whispers into our hearts again and again and again. This too will be part of next week's lesson. But don't wait till next week to embrace it. Are you in need of hearing the Savior's voice saying, peace be with you? If peace is not with you, then something is with you that doesn't belong. So you look to him. 
You look to him and you hear the voice of his spirit making his voice almost as loud as Jesus on the cross saying, peace, not turmoil, peace, not worry, peace, not anxiety, peace, settled contentment of heart be with you. For Jesus himself brings it, his spirit pours it into our minds and hearts. It'll keep us and guard us. Take advantage of it. As you read Jesus saying those things to his disciples on that very troublesome day in their minds, you just realize how true it is, how it changed them, and how his words, his truth, his promise can change each one. We'll talk more about that next week. And now this final thought. We just zipped right through this today. It's a teaser. You're going to fill in so much this week, all of us, as we read faithfully through the scripture, finding the bigger story of each one of these eight essential events, but also finding so much more. Jesus came to earth to live these eight days. They changed the world. And what he did there has changed our lives. Let's rejoice as we renew them. And so the final thought just says this. Holy Week is only holy to those who have been made holy by the things that happened during it. That's more true for us in this country today than probably any time during our lives. There has been a veneer of Christian varnish (laughs) over this whole land. We celebrate the Christmas and the Christian seasons according to the calendar. Everybody would have known, oh yeah, Holy Week, Holy Week. Palm Sunday, right? To Easter, right? Yeah, it's Holy Week. I'll bet you could go into Walmart and just kind of talk to different people, go into Costco, go into the best stores, go anywhere and just say to somebody this week, so how's Holy Week going for you? Try that. And and see how many people say, what? What are you talking about? And see how many people say, oh, it's the most blessed week of the year, isn't it? I've been walking right with Jesus Christ every day this week reminding myself of his incredible sacrifice, his incredible commitment, his incredible suffering. This week has like just taken me right to a, to a more intimate relationship with him than I've ever had before. But I bet a lot are going to say, what? Yeah. Holy week? And then you can tell them, well, you know, it's a holy week for me. You know why? No, Why? And just tell them, well, it's eight days that change the entire world forever. Do you want to hear about it? No, I don't. Oh, okay. If you ever do, though, it's the most incredible week that's ever been lived on this entire world. And for me, it's a holy time. I'd love to explain it to you. But God bless you, because it's a holy week anyway. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
Every now and then the calendar says, look at the word of God. The calendar gives us an opportunity and a necessity to look at the word of God in a fresh way. Christmas does that for us. The Easter season, Resurrection Sunday does that for us. Father, forgive us when we who know Christ are are sometimes no more zeroed in and focused in than the people who don't even know what Holy Week means. Father, don't let that be us this year. Let us take advantage of the things that are provided for us and especially to devote ourselves to reading through the scriptures, recounting the the last eight days of Jesus' earthly, physical And Father, may every action of the week just stir joy in our hearts and understanding within us. And then, Father, make us ministers to share your truth with those around us, encouragers of other believers. And then, Father, bring us back to church next Sunday morning just thrilled with the the discovery of the empty tomb and then the risen Savior, right? How good that will be. So, Father, we, we desire to be faithful to you. Help us to be so this week. We ask it in. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.